Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We got a call saying, hey, Larry and Jerry read your stuff and they, they liked your ideas. Can you come in? So we walk into the, to the Seinfeld offices. There are two desks, their feet up. And Larry has his space pen in his hand. And he's just looking at you like this. <laughs> oh, my God. Like you've done something horrible to his family. Jerry's just <laughs> staring at you. And it's like, okay, be funny. Our guest coming up later is only the executive producer of Actual Curb Your Enthusiasm, Jeff Schaefer. We did a family activity at the weekend. We went to the London Bridge experience so we arrive there and it's one of these places which is history told through actors Mm -hmm. who you have to interact with and the attraction itself is different periods in history different zones so you go into these rooms and there is an actor in each of them the second room we went into was the keeper of the heads and she was making some very interesting artistic choices i almost feel like on that day's performance she went I have to find a way to keep this fresh for me. Fuck the old script. I make it new today. She was raising her voice in moments you didn't foresee where she would raise her voice. It was almost like she had electrodes attached to her and on certain words, somebody cranked up the electric shock and there were never the words you would expect. Yeah. The shtick is she's describing how to like boil a human head. Don't judge us as parents. It all felt kind of funny. And our son was actually like quite into it. So she'd be like... So you remove eyeballs. And it was like, <laughs> oh, and it was so startling. And so then I had to lower my head as though in prayer and just allow <laughs> my body in the dark vault to kind of shake with laughter as this woman accentuated strange words in her little speech. And when I thought to myself, and I, I found all the actors impressive, I really did. I've had to play to a small room. That shit is not easy. If this was Helena Bonham Carter making the same choices, On stage at the National, she would be winning rave reviews. Five stars. But a thing that I think is important is that like when you go to acting school, you get taken to this theatre, to that theatre, to see the people in this profession that we would like to participate in. And if acting schools were really doing what is morally right, they would take these students and be like, London Bridge Experience. Shrek experience. Let's see what that looks like and understand that is perhaps a more realistic possibility than the role at the National. Now, we mentioned right at the start of the episode that we have an extremely exciting guest coming up for you today. It's Jeff Schaefer, who is the executive producer of Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's been Larry David's right-hand man on that show for many years. Before that, he was a writer and a producer on Seinfeld. 
if you are a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm, I think there's some great information and some insight into how the sausage is made. It could be a good week to join the Patreon. Our guest later, Curb Your Enthusiasm executive producer Jeff Schaefer. For my quick watch this week, I watched the sitcom spin-off of the 2012 film Ted, starring Marky Mark of uh, the Funky Bunch fame. Funky Bunch. And Seth MacFarlane, creator of Family Guy. He feels like a high school bully all grown up. And I need to be clear that Marky Mark isn't in the TV show. Seth MacFarlane is the voice of the bear, but this goes back to the bear's days with a teenage boy. In I mean, the 90s. Do you think that you were um, spoiling for a fight or something? This sounds so shitty. So were you, Jeff, looking for something to hate? No, I genuinely was looking for something funny. I'm always looking for something funny and I so rarely find it. But there's a real witlessness. So within the first half of the episode, there's been some race stuff. There's been some sexism stuff. There's, there's been some gay stuff, all under the umbrella of this is what we were all like in the 90s. Ugh. But there's no joke. There's just sort of saying the thing. Yeah, that sounds terrible. But Seth MacFarlane is respected, right? I guess so. But I feel like there's allowed to be one handsome, funny person <laughs> who is actually funny. And that person is Paul Rudd. And we have him now. And that's great. And... I'm Seth MacFarlane. And I'm like, what? Like, shut up with your voice. He's like, can you guys believe it? I got this voice, this singing voice, this speaking voice. I'm kind of handsome and I'm funny. And this, the hater in me, and I'm sure the jealous person in me, just is like, fuck you. You're like passably funny for a guy whose voice sounds old fashioned. I don't care. This is a baseless opinion from someone who has never watched anything in the family guy sphere but shouldn't it be a good premise for a sitcom a teddy bear that farts and swears jeff no i don't like when you ask me questions that you know the answer to it offends me but did did you like alf in the 80s did you like did you like bigfoot and the hendersons i'm an adult give me some grown-up shit when you were a single lady Mm -hmm. plowing the field oh i think i was the field and i was getting plowed (laughs) did you ever go to the home of a gentleman who had himself a teddy bear No. I think the weirdest thing in a guy's house I ever saw, he had two things in his room. There was like a family coat of arms. And I was like, easy there, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And he had a really big mirror, which I didn't even notice until the evening proceeded. And I was like, this little man is watching himself in the mirror. And I was like, quite repulsed. I understand that people are into that kind of thing, but I have a certain level of self-loathing that would never allow that. I think if you start installing a mirror into the bedroom that's angled towards the bed, you've made a choice to start upon the route to becoming a playboy. Yeah, it's one of the steps, isn't it? And just imagine big mirror and coat of arms. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was going into the, um, you know, there's always like a an armor section at a certain kind of a museum. Yes. So there was about the frame of the mirror and the coat of arms. And I was like, all right, 1431. I mean, I don't know. I don't know history enough. Was there a Latin motto (laughs) beneath the family crest? I don't remember much except going, hey, what's this? And he was like, mean. He was like, "Uh, it's a family coat of arms. And I was like, (laughs) oh, cool. (laughs) 
My self-esteem was low enough that I stayed, but I just remembered finding it slightly repulsive. One thing I, I was thinking about a lot as I was watching Ted was what an incredible thing it is that Curb Your Enthusiasm, <sighs> which we're going to be talking about later, is still so funny as it enters its 20th year in its final season. And what is Seth MacFarlane thinking? And I just imagine it was like he had the idea and they made it a film and then someone went, oh, I bet we could make it a TV series. So then does he go, it won't be any good. (laughs) But like, I don't care. Like, I want to buy another house. Like, what is interesting to me is what does he think of this show and what does or doesn't embarrass him? This should. Your quick watch. So last week when we spoke to Gemma Whelan, she did such a good sell on that documentary. She said it was called Murder on a Sunday Morning. It came out in 2001, and in 2002, it won the the Oscar for Best Documentary Film. And as to Gemma's point, the less you know, the better. But what happens is, is an older couple, they are in Jacksonville, Florida, and they are walking in front of a Ramada Inn. They are approached by a man who tries to steal the woman's pocketbook and then winds up shooting her point blank in the face and she dies. They find the young man they think shot her, and he is arrested and put in prison. And he says he doesn't do it, despite the fact he signed a confession saying he did do it. And so this documentary shows up for the trial. And it was riveting. As soon as you described it, I instantly thought of your mother, who isn't conflict averse, (gasps) but she is very scared that somebody's going to pull a gun on her. This is one of her big things. It comes out the most, like, my dad, if he gets angry, it will be in a road rage moment. He's he's suppressing a lot, isn't he? Yeah. He's, like, afraid of my mom. And so he suppresses. And then if someone cuts him off, he'll go, fucking asshole. (laughs) My dad never swears. Oh, my God. Have we ever told the asshole story about my dad on the pod? (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. My dad loves me so much. He is a gentle, demure, kind man. And I don't think I have ever been on the receiving end of my father's anger ever. When I was 29 years old, I was home in Chicago for the summer. And so I was going to cycle in and meet them for like a cup of coffee. And as I'm approaching the intersection where the coffee shop is, in the distance, I see my parents. I think, oh, this is funny. I'll, I'll cycle up and surprise them. So I cycle, cycle, and they're in the pedestrian crossing. And I go, uh, look out. Like to be funny, I go, hey, look out. My dad doesn't know it's me. And he just goes, you look out, asshole. And I go, dad. And he goes, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. And it was almost like, it was almost like um, like seeing your parent really drunk or walking in on your parents having sex or so, some kind of thing where you're like, that, that was not supposed to happen. So my mother's thing is if my father's road rage ever boils up even slightly and he goes, fucking at my mom will go, Joe, Joe, he could have a gun. That man could have a gun. And you're like, what? She goes to gun so quickly. She's never been around a gun. She's never seen anything. This is someone whose entire life has been completely free of violence. Still, drop of a hat, Joe, he could have a gun. And so now you're giving her ammunition because if she hears this, this, this is proof that it... Canon does happen. No, because basically it happened in front of a Ramada Inn and my mother would never stay at a Ramada Inn, so she's probably safe. So the young man in this case is named Bretton Butler. And this story is so well told 
that you're just sat there when they're about to read the verdict thinking, I cannot survive this tension. And how did you come away feeling about the state of Florida? Did you feel justice prevails there? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you that you should watch this documentary. But let's return to the state of Florida more generally. As a child, I went to Florida a couple of times on a family holiday. It was the most idyllic thing that has ever happened to me. A coconut in a tree? (laughs) Unbelievable idea. They have oranges on their license plates. I thought it was heaven. My mother was planning a holiday for maybe it was her 70th birthday. And she decides that she's going to take everyone to Florida. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to the promised land. Like, I was so excited to return to Nirvana was how I felt about it. Holy shit. We went to the Florida Keys. What a dumpster pile. (laughs) What a dumpster pile. It was like walking on a highway. I'm looking every which way just trying to see a coconut somewhere. And it's like just highway and Trump voters... So you choose watching a documentary about a murder trial in Florida over actually going back there? Yes, unless there was one resort that we did stumble across. And that place did look really pretty. But other than that, disgusting. Well, we'd love to hear from you. Do you have any thoughts on adults with teddy bears or coats of arms or angled mirrors in the bedroom? Also, I am always just looking for something funny. Uh I just want to laugh. I don't want to feel anything else. I don't want to learn anything. Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel like society's ills are being righted by this particular piece of art. Mm -hmm. Although I'm very happy for other pieces of art to do that. I just want it to be funny. So any suggestions on funny things? Also, apart from Curb Your Enthusiasm, is there any comedy that has been consistently good over 20 years? That must be a record. So then you just have to think what was consistently good for a more normal amount of time. Also, have you ever decided to go on holiday anywhere after seeing it on TV? I remember going to New York for the first time and wanting to go to the diner from Seinfeld. When you lived there, did you ever go and sit on the front steps from Sex in the City? No, no, because you're like, cool. You know, when you're cool, (laughs) you can't do these things. But you're not jonesing to go back to Florida after seeing this documentary. I would like to have a Miami Beach... Sorry, but a thing that I do think I'm entitled to... (laughs) It's like, like, why can't I have... Like, a Miami Beach holiday that, like, my mom has not paid for. <laughs> like, I want to say yeah. that Art Deco Miami place can have, like, a great caipirinha with a good cocktail <laughs> and a good tacos. I want that shit. And I want to have a Key West experience that isn't gross, where I drink a daiquiri and think about Hemingway. <laughs> I would really like to take that holiday. I would really, as I'm describing it now, it sounds great. It's just that we have to pay for and choose the hotels. Maybe we should start entering competitions to win holidays. Wait, no, I think I can segue onto the Patreon right now. Are we there? Are we there? Okay, okay. So two things. One, first of all, do you want to join the Patreon? Because do you want my Florida dream to come true for me? (laughs) I don't know when we're going to take it. But like, what if across a couple of years of the Patreon, you guys could sign up and then I can go Key West. Florida Keys, this one hotel that I can't remember the name of, and then this other hotel that's Art Deco-y in Miami. Oh my God, it's going to be so cute. And maybe by the time I go on this holiday, my eyes will be done and I'll have like a bit of plastic surgery to complement my Florida vacation. I'm loving this for me. Could you go on this vacation to recover from the plastic surgery? So have you got black eyes oh, and scars? Yes, but I already know I'm going to recover from the surgery. 
How? Christmas time. Because <laughs> I don't get, get Christmas. So I would like that for my son to have a Christmas memory where his mother is bruised and battered. But it's because <laughs> of her surgery that makes her pretty. Okay. So first of all, do you want that for us? I know that you do three pounds a month. If a whole shit ton of you join, I can have this fantasy. But more importantly, I really want you to join the Patreon now. I do want it. I want it for you. Here's why you're going to join this week. And this is not going to be for a lot of you, but it is going to be for some of you. Are you super into your Curb Your Enthusiasm? Are you a longtime fan? I always get anxious about overselling, but I will confidently say this was a very good conversation. And if you love that show, you are going to learn about Larry David. You're going to learn about that show. So I, even if you want to, I'd rather that you didn't, but if you must just join for a month and then quit that membership, this is that month so that you can get the extended Jay Schaefer. Patreon.com stroke. They like to watch the email address is fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And Jeff Schaefer later. <laughs> This week, we watched One Day on Netflix. I am old enough to remember this being a publishing sensation, a book that everybody was talking about. And I remember reading it and thinking, yeah, this is fine, but I I don't quite know what the fuss is all about. I've never read it. I have no idea. But One Day felt like it thought it was literature. And I was like, I'm so sorry you don't understand me. I'm kind of a reader. So like, <laughs> that might be fine for the masses, but I'm like a little bit beyond all that. So I don't remember the book being a sensation, but I remember like seeing the ads for when it was a film that Anne Hathaway was in. It wasn't very well thought of film, was it? And I think that's partly down to the format of it, because the, the, the format of the book is it's a story of a relationship told over, I don't know if it's quite, is it 20 years? Yeah, almost, I think, 19 years. One day every year. It's the same day Yeah, each year, St. Swithin's Day. I looked into the camera roll on my phone to see if we'd done anything <laughs> notable on any St. Swithin days in the past. And the honest answer is no, except for 2017, when uh-huh. we used to take our son to a swimming lesson on a Sunday morning. And on St. Swithin's Day in that year, they were raising some money for charity and got all the parents to go in fancy dress. And we went in terrible, terrible fancy dress costumes because you're in swimming trunks. There's not that much you can do. But you had a very strong vision of what we should go as. What was going on with me? I feel like this genuinely, this is one of these moments where I'm sort of understanding how badly my mental health was affected by by like the process of new motherhood. First of all, that we participated is insane to me. I never participate in anything ever. I have a feeling that maybe they said it was princes and princesses. I made the three of us dress up as characters from the film A Princess Bride. Do you think I was having a breakdown? (laughs) I've got the photo in front of me. and, And yes, I think possibly you were. I basically, I made my son go as Fezzik, the giant, played by actual giant Andre the Giant. And you made a wig. Because he was bald at the time. Do you think I was breaking, like actually breaking <laughs> down? He had like a little baby, you know, winter hat. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll make a wig out of that. And I bought a bunch of brown, what do you call those things? Puff balls. And I glued them to the top of this hat and put the hat on my like 14 month old baby. And I put you in a blonde wind to be Princess Buttercup. And then I wore the mask that Wesley wears. Everything else about our costumes was just swimming garb. So I was in a pair of shorts. You were in a swimsuit. And our son was in swimming shorts. Uh-huh. And obviously what happened looking at the photograph is you, you thought nobody is going to have a clue what we're supposed to be. 
So then you got stationary yeah. labels, like office supply labels that you would put on an envelope, and wrote on them in black felt tip, Fezzik, Buttercup, and Wesley, and then stuck them to our skin. What was I thinking? What was going on with me? <laughs> but also my memory is that it was doubly embarrassing because even though the instructor had been telling people for weeks, all right, on this Sunday, we're all going to come in fancy dress, nobody else did it and it was only us. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> It's really, you know, like you can remember sad parts of your past and you almost like wish you could just reach through time and hold your younger person. <laughs> I just want to hold her and be like, I don't know what's going on, but you you need you need some kind of support that you're not getting. So I'm not sure that however good one day is or isn't that it, that it could compete with our memorable St. Swithin's Day. No, none of their July 15th will ever be as good as that one that we shared. So it's this couple, Dexter played by Leo Woodall and Emma played by Ambie Kamod. She, I think, was in the adaptation of the Adam K book, This Is Going To Hurt, which we never saw, but I've heard good things about. He was in the last series of White Lotus. And you you did quite some thirsting after him in that from memory. I mean, my God, what a work of art he is. What is it? Is it the eyes? I think with these people, it's like, what isn't it? And I'd seen that this show had had a five-star review in The Guardian. And pe- people are raving about it. So my expectations were, I think, slightly too high going in. Where it wasn't that I thought, oh, this is a piece of shit. But I just thought everybody needs to calm down. But as it went on, I really did warm to it. I had a, a very confused response. I feel like this is sort of... Not entirely, but sort of. Our second, the bear. So what I mean is the world is going crazy. And I lo- like I binged watched half of it last night. Like I could not stop watching it. And if you cannot stop watching something, it is in some regard fantastic. So what an, what a, an amazing way to tell a story. It made me think about time. There were all these things I loved. But some of the acting was medium. Some of the writing was medium. Like, I don't think I understand what a five stars are. I think if we go five stars, I go, oh, okay. I'm about to watch like a piece of high art in the medium of television. Not a kind of cheesy book that makes me want to stay up until 2 a.m., which I have a lot of respect for that. I just don't understand star rankings sometimes. One of the themes of it is is that he is posh. Not, you know, so posh they're the people who wield all the power in the country. Right. It's so posh that you see their stories on TV and in books far more than you ever encounter them in real life. Right. Because people who work in TV or in publishing are often from that background. Yes. And that's whose stories get told. But that is also part of it because she isn't from that background and her career kind of falls into his lap, whereas she has creative ambitions, but... She winds up becoming a teacher. What an awful thing for somebody. I don't know. They work them really hard and they underpay them. I know, but the the idea that being a teacher should be this terrible thing that happens to you if your ambitions are thwarted. I think there is something real in the idea that you you want to do this thing and you wind up teaching. I agree. But do, do we really have to keep seeing teachers as shorthand for thwarted creative ambitions? No, I, th- I think this show was not free of cliché. <laughs> but I'm just saying there is some argument that that is real as well. Can I tell you one of my favorite things that happened? Yes. Okay. 
So first of all, I people are going to binge this thing. That's part of what makes it phenomenal is it is so bingeable. So spoiler, 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 spoilers. There's a point when Dex gets together with a woman that he's going to marry. And like we see them in the beginning and we see them being like all sexy in her childhood bedroom, which I already find disgusting. And then you see one of my favorite objects of all time. And this character is supposed to be like unbelievably posh. And she has draped elegantly over her standing mirror, the ultimate symbol of femininity and my favorite object in the world. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. Point shoes. Do you know that I love point shoes? Ballet shoes. Point shoes. Are these two different things? Yes. Not (laughs) ballet slippers, okay? Uh Uh-huh. Point shoes. They are encased in the lightest, pinkest of satins. And they have these beautiful satin ribbons that you tie up your calf. And I think they're the prettiest things ever. And when I was a tweenage girl, my only dream was to get to a point in my ballet studies where I could go en point. But I remain to this day obsessed with point shoes. This is so vulnerable. It's like how I love dollhouses. Like, I wonder how far away I am from wanting to play with dolls. And I don't really mean play with dolls. But what I mean is, like, I think a thing I could get a lot out of is if you got me a really good dollhouse. And then if I was in a state, or if you could see that I was having a hard time, you'd be like, it's time for you to go play with your dollhouse. Anyway, those point shoes were so fucking stupid. What the fuck were they doing there? What a Chekhov's gun. Why are we seeing our point shoes if you're not going to give me some dumb ballet (laughs) shit? But also, I love silks and satins. I love silks and satins. So you have seen all of this. I saw just over half of it because I nodded off. But it is very addictive. I think it gets at some relationship stuff really well. But it is a little bit cheesy as well. A bit of cheese, but holy shit, is it a fun and wild ride. Have you been watching One Day? What did you think? Are you an apologist for the 2011 film with Anne Hathaway? <laughs> Look, I am, as, as well as always being on the lookout for good comedy, that's the other thing I always want, the stuff of relationships. Mm-hmm. And I would say One Day scratched that itch somewhat, but not as rigorously as I would have liked it to. But if you've got any other examples of shows that you think do a really good job of that, the one I would have always mentioned is Ingmar Bergman's scene from A Marriage, but Sarah's rolling her eyes it's at just, me. You get, you're so in love with yourself for loving that film. It's a TV series, not a film. Whatever, it's told over shit. like five or six hours or whatever. But it's, it's a brilliant version of that. But I do mention it a lot. You're right. <laughs> it's like I've only seen one thing. No, it's just you You like something about you feels good when you get to talk about liking that show. But any suggestions, please? The email address is... Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, I was so excited when I found out this was happening. The executive producer on Curb Your Enthusiasm, writer and producer on Seinfeld. Two of my favourite programmes, two of the funniest programmes ever. He also created that TV show, Dave. You know, with Little Dicky about the yes, rapper. Yes, of course. He's done a bunch of stuff and what a treat to get to talk about the final series of curb your enthusiasm we've only seen one episode so far what an episode it was we were in a bad mood and by the time it finished we were in a good mood like i think i was borderline in tears about something that had happened and within the first five minutes of this first episode i was giggling coming up next it's jeff schaefer 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How do you feel as a J-Jeff interacting with a G-Jeff? Because you are English, the G is excusable. A British G-Jeff harkens back to a fancier time yes for us americans a g jeff in america is just putting on airs do you feel that in recent years the name jeff has become a punchline we're drifting into karen adjacent we've drifted from accepted to common and now to despised yeah i I think if someone was giving a cat a humorous name they might call it jeff yeah I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you would call it Tim. I, um, I wanted yeah. to start by telling you that uh, a dynamic that has emerged somewhat recently in our marriage is that if we've had some kind of marital spat and we have to, like, reset ourselves, a, a way that we do that is we will watch the Fatwa episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm and remember that, that there are things we like together and we find our, our lock and step again. I was curious what you remember. Oh, about- by the way, way cheaper than a therapist. Fatwa the musical is our therapist. What do you remember about that day? Did you participate in anything to do with lyrics and choreography? Yes. So we had basically written the season without telling Lin-Manuel Miranda that he was in the show. And we cleverly had no plan B. So we called him up and luckily he was a huge fan of the show. And he said, oh my gosh, I'd love to do this. Um, Here's the thing. I'm going to England in a week to shoot Mary Poppins for six months. So... We got him for one day. We shot all the stuff at the agency where they were fighting over the desk and he was rapping and all that stuff, which was just my agency. I just called them uh, UTA and I said, I need a favor. I've been with you a long time. Lynn's coming. I told my agent, I need your office. I need the hallway. I need this. We're going to shoot. He's like, okay. Also, we've got to change your desk. It's not masculine enough. Anyway, (laughs) so that's where all that great stuff with F. Murray Abraham and Big Murray and the clothing tracker and Lynn, who was... I think probably my favorite guest star of all of our guest stars. He was so funny and he was so willing 
to play a funhouse mere version of himself as this passive aggressive prima. It was he was so because he's so sweet and he was so funny just passive aggressiving Larry to death with the thank yous and all that. We had written some kind of raps for Lynn to do. We we said these are just suggestions. Here's a few, and he wisely said, "I, I got this." And he showed up on the day and. Out of nowhere, spun gold. It's like me who's not that tall watching someone dunk. And you're just going, never going to happen. He can dunk. We can't dunk. How did you end up on Curb? Because you were there for quite a few seasons of Seinfeld, but not the first few of Curb. My writing partner, Alec, and I had been on Curb. We did two years with Larry, and then Larry wasn't there for the last two years. And then he came back for the finale. And we did the clip show. Yes, on Seinfeld. And then... You know, Larry was thinking about this new show, and we would have, like, lunch with him, and we'd talk to him a little bit. But I, I distinctly remember watching the the first episode of the show with the, the pants tent and him sort of playing with that little fold and, of cloth and thinking, oh, I'd always wanted to do something with that. He just did it better. Cross that one <laughs> off. And in between seasons of Curb, Larry would sit down with, like, Alec and I and Tom Gamble and Max Pross just having lunch and he would throw some ideas around and we were going to get an office. And Larry said, well, why don't you just have an office next to me and I'll basically take care of the office and I'll just come into the room whenever. And that's how we wrote season five of Curb with Larry, just having an office next to him. But season six was the first season. We said, okay, we're going to be here. We helped write it. We're going to direct. We're going to be on set every day. We'll help edit. Same with season seven. So since season... From season nine on, it's just been Larry and I sort of showing our awkward scars and making the show. Can you give me a sense of what it feels like pitching to Larry David? Like, how quickly do you know that he doesn't like an idea? What kind of tells does he have? Larry, when we're talking about the show, it's basically we walk into the office like, this happened to me. Larry walks into the office and he says, I was at a dinner party last night and the host served tap water. Who serves tap water at a dinner party? I should have said something. Oh. And I say, well... Real Larry didn't say anything, but TV Larry's going to say something, and that's the start of a story. So it's the hardest part isn't the story, because those things that I just described to you, I'm calling it a story. Is it a story? No, it's a scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's three minutes. What's the rest? That's what we work on, and there's a there's dry erase boards right there. These are the dry oh, erase boards we write God. on. Oh, my God. They're empty now, but... That's what we write the show on. Oh Same God. way Seinfeld was written. Okay. We take ideas. We're like, okay, what ideas do we like? What ideas do we like? And we start building and doing what I call comedy geometry. Like, how do these stories build on their own? How do they bounce off each other and intersect? There are some stories. I mean, oh, my God. There's a scene that is in this season of Curb that we have shot twice before in two different seasons. And, and it got cut because it wasn't working within the stories you were... It wasn't, wasn't necessary enough. It was like a, a hat on a hat meeting. It was like, we already had a big thing in this and it was there too. And it's just, oh my God, we're in the scene too long. And there was a story Larry really liked. Larry's at a restaurant and the food's late and he talks to the waiter and he goes, what's wrong with our food? And the host says, I'm sorry, there was a disturbance in the kitchen. That was in season nine. But we had talked about that story probably in seasons five, six, seven, and eight. It was a running joke. When we were stuck and we didn't know what else to put in a show, Larry would literally go, disturbance in the kitchen? (laughs) And we would all laugh and go, ha, 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 we're never doing that. And then we finally figured it out. But it took a while. How often when you call Larry, 
How often does he take your calls? You call him 10 times. How many times does he pick up the phone? Oh, 10. Yeah, we're texting all the time. His office is right there. We're friends, like, socially. We go out to dinner. Does he behave normally in a restaurant? Larry has gotten to have his cake and eat it, too, because if Larry acts cantankerous or antagonistic, they love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Larry David just told me to shut up. This is the best moment of my life. Talk about the ways in which you are the puppet master and you manipulate actors during a scene, because my understanding of it is there's no script, but also you are throwing curveballs in there and and getting the actors to throw in stuff that Larry or the other cast members don't necessarily expect or anticipate. So Curve has an outline, and the outline is the story, right? It's the same as Seinfeld. Once you've got that outline, you know why the scenes are funny. The difference is we'd spend two days on Seinfeld writing the script. On Curb, we don't. And I've got a list. When I'm coming in every day, I've got a list of things I want to try and get to. But then you get these brilliant improvisers to say it in their way, and you're going to get these magical digressions. So every day I have a plan for directing, and every day half of that goes out the window. And to your point about surprising Larry, the show basically gets made the way Larry looks at the world, which is the world is against him. And I'm setting up the world of the show against him. Larry wants to be surprised. And I'm also setting up all sorts of traps for Larry. I mean, there was, like, for instance, there was a scene in, Larry was on a plane with uh, June Diane Raphael, and she kept pulling stuff out of her bag. She was, like, the worst travel person to me next to her. I think this was season eight. It was nine. Oh, it was nine. It had to be nine. And I just loaded this bag up with more and more things. For, and he's literally going, Larry doesn't know any of this is going to happen. So he's just like, how much stuff does she have in her bag? And, like, he, <laughs> but he's so funny with his initial reactions, his real reactions to stuff that... Those make it into the show. Although, like with JB, often I have to make a decision, like especially the first take, I got to get Larry's shoulder out of JB's single because otherwise you're just going <laughs> to see Larry go and just ruin the take. And there's a lot of ruining of takes, frankly, which is okay. It's okay. Do people get like, because I feel like the, the reputation of someone breaking or whatever is like it, it delays the process and time is of the essence. But on this show, is that just kind of like worked into the schedule is that people are going to break? Yeah, Larry breaks the most by far. But also for guest actors that are coming in, like nothing makes them happier. You literally see their heart grow three sizes bigger oh my God. when Larry laughs. If JB or Jeff says something fun, it, like Larry laughs. When Susie's screaming at him, which is his kryptonite. I mean, anyone screaming at Larry and he just giggles like a schoolgirl. I mean, then there's other times when we're in the middle of the scene and Larry will put his finger to his mouth like he's about to laugh and hold his finger up and go, hold on, hold on. And he's laughing not at what was happening, but what he's about to do, the wrench he's about to throw in because he's seeing it as a writer. He can act and be above the scene as a writer. He's acting and writing. I'm directing and writing. And also in my head, I'm editing because I'm like, are we going to use this or not? If we don't, can we get from here to here? Is it a joy as a writer to not have to write dialogue? No. The hardest part of writing is not the dialogue. Uh The hardest part of writing is stories. The dialogue's easy because you're just exploring an idea in a funny way. Like, here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke. The hardest part is making the stories work and making them funny and keeping the engine running. Something I've noticed about Curb is it's got this almost uncancelable quality to it in that you push it to booze but i don't see much outrage at that and i just wondered what the underlying principle is that means it's okay for larry to push at this stuff i honestly think it's because it's funny i know from larry's standpoint he's never cared what anyone else thinks about the show 
my old, old writing partner, Alec Berg, had a great line about this. He, when, about Curb, he said, there's no they. Whether they is the network or they is the audience. On a regular show, you're like, are they going to let us do it? Are they going to like it? There's no they here. It's just us. All we worry about is what's funny. And, and he's taught me this. Nothing's off limits. It's just how you do it. It's all execution. And I always joke, like, I know where the line is because I can look back and see it. And that's what makes a good comedy. You should be pushing. None of us, we're not trying to push. I think we're just doing the stories we think are funny. And that's it. How, is, how much dissension is there at this point between what is and isn't funny? between the writers on the show. When we're shooting, we'll try stuff. And sometimes I'll suggest them, we'll go, oh, I don't know. And I go, I'll try it. And I go, okay, he's really collaborative. He has the confidence in himself to be super collaborative. And he's gotten far by trusting his instincts. But last year, was it last year? Was it two years ago? It was the episode where there was a, a fat roofer oh, yeah, yeah. that Larry didn't want on his roof. <laughs> so heavy. And then Leon thought that he was stealing his like fudgesicles. And he's talking to Larry and he's saying, well, you don't have to worry about it. He's not going to steal your food. He doesn't want your mung beans. He doesn't want your vegetables. He doesn't want those olives. What are those olives with the little red thing in it? What's that called? And Larry goes, pimento. And Leon goes, yeah, pimento. The same thing that comes out of a woman when she has a baby. <laughs> oh my God. And I just, I hadn't laughed that hard in a long time. It was such a funny line. And there was a much bigger Leon story with this that all was unnecessary. But I fought and tricked and like maneuvered. I wanted to keep that joke so badly and it, and it ended up working great. But that one was like, Larry's like, we don't need any of this. We don't need any of this. I go, I know, I know. Just let me, I can, I can do this. I can save this. I'm going to tell you the names of some of the people on the show. And I would love if you could give us a thought or a fact that comes to mind. So first one, JB Smoove. Quicksilver. He comes into the scene with one thought in his head. I'm going to fuck Larry up. <laughs> I'm going to make Larry laugh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrench in this. And Larry doesn't have much resistance. <laughs> he just laughs and laughs his way through it. Um, Kayla Monterasso Mejia, who plays Maria Sofia. She was unknown. We had a Zoom casting with her. And I'm like, we have to hire this woman. She's, she's playing this so odd and so oddly. Like, what a terrible <laughs> actress this woman is going to be. And But then... When she came in, she just knocked it out of the park. And she's, you know, this season, you know, now we're flipping the script on her. And now she's, you know, drinking from the diva fountain and is <laughs> loved. She has to play a whole different character. She thinks she's earned it. And so now Larry has to deal with this. What's worse than dealing with a terrible actress who thinks they're really good, even when they're not good? A terrible actress who's no good, who's loved by the country. So there was a line. It, it's not in the, it's no longer, it's not in the first uh, show anymore. But they were in the car together. And she was talking. She goes, oh, my God, I hope they cancel the show. And she goes, I know. Then I can do movies. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tracy Ullman. She is a genius. And she designed a character that if you had a laboratory, make someone to make Larry the most uncomfortable, it would be <laughs> Irma. She, obviously, she's nothing like she, no one plays characters better than Tracy. And was the bubble, was that written or was that just something that came up? during filming oh she had a bubble yeah uh, we would talk about her character because i was like you work for the city and so we talked a lot about ramps and, <laughs> and, and gravel and she was worried about the rats in the bushes and the bubble was her just trying to figure out how to make someone so virulently unappealing it was like looking in a mirror, Jeff. That <laughs> bubble. It was so satisfying with that bubble. 
Um, Bob Einstein. No one told a joke better than Bob Einstein. And no one knew more jokes than Bob Einstein. He was so brilliant. I don't know if anything will ever top him telling that joke to Jerry Seinfeld at the table read. I mean, that's also one of those ones. We, that's another reset video that we have in our family to be like, we're not in a good place. Why don't we watch Your Cunt is in the Sink, as we call it in our house. And it's like, um, <laughs> yeah. I always, if I'm going to watch it, I have to give myself like four watches because I need to just have one experience. Then I have to watch it only watching Marty Funkhauser. Then I have to watch only watching Larry David. Then I have to watch only watching Jerry Seinfeld. It is one of the yeah. most magnificent pieces of television I have ever seen. Yeah, we loved him. And it was a big loss to the show. It was a big loss to the show. Um, Susie Essman? No one would ever know that she's the sweetest human being on the planet. And she walks around New York City, and all anyone wants to do is go, Susie, tell me to fuck myself. Here, my <laughs> husband's on the phone. Tell him to fuck off. She's also, nobody knows better how to move the scene along. How to be, if she needs to be oblivious, she's perfectly oblivious. If she needs to be on him like a hawk, she's on him like a hawk. She's the foil to all of Larry and Jeff's shenanigans, and she knows exactly how to play it. She's a genius. And then finally, of course, Larry David. There's, there's a misunderstanding when it comes to Curb, because everyone goes, Curb's about Larry's life. Curb's not about Larry's life. If Curb was about Larry's life, Larry would be in jail, like a hundred <laughs> times over, right? Curb is about Larry's ideas. Mm-hmm. And he's a genius writer. And everyone goes, why is the show still relevant after 12 seasons in 20 years and i always say i can tell you in four words larry motherfucking david what is that though what what, what do you think it is that's unique to to him he's been constant right the ideas that these great seinfeld ideas have become great curb ideas because he's he's still going out in the world having spirited discussions with whether the populace of new york or the west side of los angeles and turning them into the funniest stories on the planet I think part of the show, part of the appeal of Curb is that it's also about wish fulfillment. It's like, oh my God, that happened to me and I wish I had said what Larry said. Or the flip side, Larry's able to play both sides. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe what Larry did. Someone did that to me. But the key really is too, it's wish fulfillment for Larry. I always say that real Larry is the neurotic Clark Kent to TV Larry's Superman. He said it best when we came back for season 11 in his announcement, his quote was, I'm coming back because it's much more fun to play Larry David than it is to be Larry David. <laughs> and it's true. I guess some of the stuff we do is so small and so petty that it's universal, right? There's so many things that are wrong in the world, and there's a lot of really smart people working on really big things. We're working on the little things. They <laughs> yeah. somehow are just as important. They are, but I also, like, one of the big revelations for me in this interview, I genuinely didn't know it was bad to serve tap water at a dinner party. I had no idea. And I like to think my finger is on the pulse with this kind of thing. That's bad form, huh? Oh, yeah. Bottled only? Well, let's put it this way. At a restaurant, do they give you a yes, choice? Yes, they do, Jeff. Yes, they do. But I always feel it's them trying to get one over on me. Like, I always think that bottled water is for the people who don't know what's up. I would say, give people the choice. I've got some tap, but anyway, I've also got sparkling if you want. You know, you have to... You're, you're a host. You're saying... You're saying to host well, I have to be giving. With the basics. With the basics. I would provide a choice. That's that's Well, that was painful. It is. And one one of my favorite Seinfeld quotes is, pain is information rushing in. So thank you for the pain. Before we let you go, um, we always ask our guests what they're watching. Um, What I'm watching right now, I'm a tiny bit late to the game, but I'm watching Slow Horses. Oh, it's fantastic. Which has been, yeah, really fun. And Gary Oldman as this 
dirty, rumpled carpet of a detective is just amazing. The performances are all great. It's, it's a really, really fun show. What a guy. I, I even love him despite the fact that he's a J-Jeff. I've never loved a J-Jeff and now I love a J-Jeff. How do you feel about a Sarah with an H? They're a neutral presence in my life. They, Less, were, they uh, were an enemy as a child and now they're just a neutral. I respect them. They feel less than. Oh, yeah, they do feel less than. Mm. But only slightly. Until I spoke to J. Jeff Schaefer, J. Jeff's felt less than. Now I'm not so sure. Maybe that J. Jeff is your superior? Yes, he's my superior. Okay. 54. He's only four years older than I am. He looks very young. He's 54. I think so, unless I've got something wrong in my Googlings. And, and, and what a resume. It's really, really charming when someone is that successful and has done that much and is that up for talking generously about it i love it have you had any anonymous valentine's emails from secret admirers no i haven't i probably never will again (laughs) i'll send you one i know you love me and i love that and it means it's it's been the making of me in so many ways (laughs) Just like, you know, a glance from a stranger. Okay. This first email comes from Jen, who writes, Hi, FCNNC. First, the TV show. One day. We were just talking about this, Jen. I am obsessed. Okay. I don't know if you'll like what we said. We still want you to like us. First with the book when it came out, but then I couldn't bear to watch the film adaptation because of my Anne Hathaway aversion. Oh my God. Same. I can only enjoy her in The Devil Wears Prada. Same. I loved her in The Devil Wears Prada. Jen says she thinks it's because she is perfectly cast in that movie and because Emily Blunt's incredibleness can neutralize anyone. These are so many good points. My brain is exploding. I have wondered if I got caught up in the anti-Hathaway sentiment of a few years ago, but I think I already found her too earnest and on in a way that only RuPaul's drag races Jan can pull off. I completely agree with you. (laughs) I understand every reference you're making and I completely agree. Anyway, the new series on Netflix is very good. We have now subsequently spoken about this, Jen. Again, I'm only three episodes in, but I'm telling you now because I have confidence in its consistency and because I want you to come on this journey with me. Already done it. Mixed feelings. Don't hate us. Also, Jeff will cry. Now, Jen, 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 we're so similar, you and me, but you have not been married to this man. And this is exactly the kind of show that wouldn't make him cry. And it's hard for me to put my finger exactly on why, but I think it's trying a little too hard to make us cry. Okay? Not judging you. Finally, she says, I have a confession. Well, I consider you both my friends. Thank you, Jen. I don't think I can move forward with this parasocial relationship without telling you, Sarah, that I have a camo dry rope. How are you doing? We don't have to be the same, Jen. We can understand that Jan on RuPaul's Drag Race can get away with something that Anne Hathaway can't. We can be the same in all these other ways and you can do camo and I cannot. And it does keep us separate, but maybe that's healthy. All right. This comes from Prue on the subject of on-screen chemistry. It says, hi, FC and NC. Any Gilmore Girls lover will be aware of the rumoured icy relationship between Lauren Graham and Scott Patterson, a.k.a. Lee Gilmore and Luke from Luke's Diner. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Their on-screen chemistry is electric, razor-sharp dialogue delivery and sexual tension that you could cut with a knife for nigh on four seasons. Wow, that's a lot of cutting, isn't it? That sounds like a blunt knife. 
um, until they finally got together. But famously, they didn't get on in real life. I seem to remember reading something about how it was because Scott was a little stinky. Perhaps untrue, but fun to consider. Hmm. I, I don't think the stink is ever the thing. No, and also, like, stinky is such a weird thing. Like, does that mean he has body odor or bad breath? I personally would always take body odor over bad breath flatulent unacceptable so can you put them in order flatulence the worst then bad breath then like if someone's like once in a while i do a funny fart that would be fine but if someone like is so unwell that they're just farting publicly all the time and stinking that is by far the worst halitosis is pretty bad and like a whiff of body odor i think is okay but when it's overwhelming pro continues i'm currently watching after the party and new zealand's drama i think someone else recommended to you if you can get your hands on it it is fantastic and only six episodes about a woman played by kiwi icon robin malcolm who accuses her husband of sexually abusing a teenager at their party i will say no more Ooh. This last one comes from Lucy, who writes, Dear FC and NC, I decided to email... Oh, okay. I decided to email after a chance encounter with Sarah in a well-known high street coffee establishment. As it accosts a coffee. If thinking, Sarah, you don't seem the type. Correct, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm with my son, I will sometimes take him there for an after-school hot chocolate. I, right, Susie, was in full-on dorky mom high-vis cycling gear with a five-year-old in tow when I spotted a stylish lady with a familiar voice. I briefly gushed about how much I love the podcast and made a quick exit to drop said five-year-old off to an after-school thing. Brief. Didn't linger. No one feels uncomfortable. I came back to the coffee establishment 10 minutes later for my well-earned kid-free cuppa, and Sarah was still in there. So I did what any slightly awkward Brit would do and sat with my pot of tea as far away as possible in case it looked like I was a stalker in high-vis clothing. Not the right clothing for a stalker. You want low-vis clothing. (laughs) No, but Lucy, I didn't see that you had come back. Anyway, writes Lucy, Sarah, thanks for being lovely. It's just like my whole deal, not a problem. (laughs) During our very brief exchange, and even though you looked great, I didn't. I was, like, so bad in those moments. But thanks for being kind. My eyes, she says that my eyes did not look like they needed any work. Oh, my God, Lucy, thank you. But that means I can't trust you. She's joined the Patreon. I'm not a rich show, but if someone seems nice, I am sweet. I'll give them my money. It's a problem. Thanks for brightening my Tuesdays. Lucy, look. First of all, it's a pleasure. Thank you for saying something. Because as soon as you left... Before you came back, or maybe once you were back, I messaged Jeff and I was like, oh, someone just said that they listened to the pod. And what I always like is like, I'm this, uh, well, I'm halfway in now, so I'll just put in the rest. Like, I always like it when someone just looks like a normal person. (laughs) You mean like someone who you would be friends with in real life? Yeah, I think that's what we want to do, right? We want to make, we want to make the kind of podcast that we would listen to. So when I see someone and I'm like, oh yeah, you're who I'm trying to make a thing for, Thanks for enjoying the thing. It's a very validating moment. So the pledge was all mine, Lucy. Miriam thinks we should watch The Tourist. Stephanie Francis thinks that you should watch Dope Sick. And Roy thinks we should watch Stroke Finish, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And we actually had a few more emails this week that were like banging the drum for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So maybe we'll do a big watch of that in the coming weeks. Maybe we will try. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. This week, Jeff Schaefer liked to watch Slow Horses on Apple TV+. I watched Ted, which I think was Sky here and perhaps Hulu in the States. Sarah watched Murder on a Sunday Morning on BBC iPlayer. And we watched One Day on Netflix. (laughs) 
Look, those of you with kids, with little kids, getting through this half term, you enjoying yourself, you're on holiday. Are you on a little holiday right now? If you're on holiday, am I with you right now on your holiday? What are you doing? Where are we? Are we on a morning walk before you have to spend the holiday with your family? Are you on a barge on the Norfolk Broads? Have you gone to Morocco? <laughs> or the Canary Islands? Where are you? What that's, are you doing? Are you having a good time? Have you gone skiing? <laughs> Don't come crying to me if someone breaks a goddamn bone. You're the one that took your own life in your hands by skiing down a hill. But I hope it's nice. I hope it's soft snow. We're staying in town. We're working. We're doing a family Valentine's Day. And then do you know what Jeff and I are doing for Valentine's Day evening? We're going to see Cabaret. What good is sitting alone in your room? We are seeing self-esteem. And the role of Sally Bowles. I'm so excited. And then maybe we'll have enough energy for a romantic interview. <laughs> anyway, have a good Valentine's Day And it's dumb and you shouldn't care about it But we need things to shape our lives And if you're alone, we really love you And everyone is actually alone So that by that metric, you're not alone Goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.